after service today. What moves me about the need to reach unreached people is the fact that God loves them. He is passionate for them. He is in pursuit of them. There are people in our world who have not heard the name of Jesus. His name brings power and freedom and liberation, and we want folks to be free. No matter where the need is and no matter where the lost are, we are called to go to those places. Without presence, how does the gospel get to people? They can't call on his name because they don't know him. So it matters that we launch presence among the least reached. I can't personally go physically. But when I'm connected with the Alliance family, we go to those spaces together. A missionary pastor from Cuba came into my family's region and my great-grandmother came to know Jesus Christ. Early Alliance workers who traveled to Southeast Asia to present the gospel to Hmong people made great sacrifices. Today, I'm here as fruit of that sacrifice, and I'm here to tell you that sacrifice is worth it. It is worth it. We are responsible to show the lost ones their way home. The Alliance is going into those places. We love people with the love of God, and we are ready to tell anybody the reason for the hope that we have. As you are giving, you are sharing in the gospel that is light and hope and joy and strength towards those who are lost. Today, the Lord is calling you to launch presence for us to be launched to serve the Lord. Would you give to this year's Great Commission Day offering? Join me this year as a part of the Alliance family in giving to the Great Commission Day offer. God is on the move to bring his family together, and we get to be a part of that. When the Alliance joins together in unity, churches are planted, lives are transformed, and hope shows up. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning, church family. And indeed, we are a family. And I had the opportunity this last week to go to a family reunion of our extended family. And it had to do with a general council 23 meeting that was held in Spokane, Washington, I'd never been to the Northwest. The Northwest is pretty cool, and uh, I enjoyed my time there, but it was a family reunion because many of the people that I've served with in ministry, went to school with, were at this big rally, and uh, we commissioned new workers to go into the world to share the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, church family, that you are a part of the broader Christian and Missionary Alliance Church family. Uh, in the United States, there's about 2,000 Alliance churches and uh, cooperating together not only with efforts in the U.S. and even Canada, but literally around the world. They're now spawning up a lot of Alliance works in some of the indigenous areas and some of the natural uh, national churches of the Alliance and other places are larger than the Alliance in the United States. But the Alliance was a network of people that began over 100 years ago by the name, a guy by the name of A.B. Simpson. 
who had a heart for the world, and he had a heart for the deeper life. And we would take the deeper life we have in Christ and take that hope that we have in him to the world. And so missionaries sent out, there's about, from the U.S., there's about 700 missionaries in 70-some different countries. And uh, this was the missionary rallies I mentioned on Friday night. And they always come in waving the flags and do other things. But their uh, aspect this year was to launch presence, the presence of Christ into places that are many times unreached places. In fact, the Christian Missionary Alliance is adamant about going to those places that are unreached and training and raising up missionaries and sending them out. And so you have on your chairs, if you pull that out, at least uh, should be around you somewhere, is a thank you for praying for the new international workers. And on here is a list of the ways that we can pray. And then on the back side of this uh, handout are the 2023 appointees of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And sometimes, sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's not true in your life. Sometimes my world gets a little too small. And I get concerned about the things in my little world. And one of the best ways that I have found to get out of myself and out of some of my situations and problems is to ask the Lord to raise up my eyesight and see things more broadly as he sees. So you know I was gone for a few weeks, Melissa and I had our family, and we were able to get to some other places uh, in the world, some other countries, and uh, that definitely elevates your sight for the world, right? Being around peers that uh, are serving across the nation and around the world elevates my sight. And it helps right-size some of the situations, the problems that we might have in our own life or our own families. And so we, as the Awakening Church family, are challenged week in and week out, and I challenge you today to get outside of yourself and to get outside of even our own church and start to have a heart for the world. And one of the ways you can do that is just simply take names here that you may not know and pray for them, as mentioned on the front as they are being commissioned and sent out. If you'd like to know more about the Christian Missionary Alliance, you can go simply to their website, which is cmaalliance.org. And I don't know that that's listed on here, but that QR code will take you there. Some of you gave to the Great Commission Day offering that we participated in on uh, Friday evening. The goal was to uh, at least meet the rat matching goal of 360000 It was added to, so it was 400000 I'm sure we pretty well met that. There was a budget approved of $80 million average over the next two years for us to do this global work through the Christian Missionary Alliance, not to build alliance churches and, hey, look at us, but to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to build the kingdom of God. Because as we're going to look at afresh and anew today, Jesus calls us to be individuals who are sent and to be workers wherever we may be at. This phrase, all of Jesus for all the world, I like it. I want to unpack it just a little bit. But it's this aspect, because we have experienced his love, hope, and mercy firsthand, we are compelled to make him known to all people in every segment of society. Now, you may come in this morning and go, that's a great idea. Just not there. My world, a lot of things are going on in my world. We're not negating a lot of things going on in your world or in my own world. 
But we are saying this, God made you to have a heart for the nations because his Holy Spirit has a heart for the nations. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit dwells within you. And if you are suppressing an interest in missions, global work, even areas that are in our own Southern California area or even our Temecula Valley, if you are suppressing having a heart for other people, you are actually quenching the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is birthing in us a passion to care for people, to reach people, to take the love that Christ has given us, the hope that he has given us, the mercy that he has given us firsthand, and take that to people in every segment of the world. And could it be, could it be that one of the keys to success, happiness, whatever you're pursuing, is to get outside of yourself and have a heart for other people and have heart for people even around the world. You know, it was interesting. I was telling Melissa when they had the Great Commissioning uh, Day sending out, I was sitting there and I was watching. I'll drop back to that slide. I was watching the um, missionaries come in, some of them I know, and then they brought the new ones up on stage that they commissioned on Friday night in Spokane. I remember when I was a young kid, I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church that my parents helped start in Wabash, Indiana. And we'd have missionaries come in. It'd be Missionary Week, and, and they would always bring some cool slides back then. You didn't have all the tech we have today and even means of communicating around the world. So when missionaries came home to be able to share their heart, it was a sort of a big deal. And they came from some very remote places, places that, that had never even had the gospel shared. And... Uh, as a young boy, I remember when the missionaries came, I would, I would go and I would sit on the floor, as with other children, in the center aisle to watch the slides. And then I would open my heart as a young child to listen and to hear maybe from God. And then I got really worried. I got really worried as a young child that God was going to end up calling me to be a missionary, to go to some place that were way far away, the people I wouldn't know, and I had all kinds of these uh, uh, paradigms and images that started to develop me because they would give the challenge, we need to send forth workers, we need people to go to reach the lost around the world. And I'm like, no, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. I became so overwhelmed with it that I had this staunch determination that I would not be a missionary growing up. Well, God led me to have a heart for ministry, and I end up going to a missionary school, which is the Christian, one of the Christian Missionary Alliance schools, which is Alliance Theological Seminary in New York. And you had to decide between North American studies and overseas studies. Those were the two big buckets. I'm like, Lord, I'm not doing that overseas thing, right? I want to do North American. I, I want to be around people maybe sort of a little bit like me. And I look at my journey over the years, and it's not like I'm so thankful, oh, good, God didn't call me to be a missionary. It's that God asked me to give my life to his kingdom's work in whatever place, and that whatever place I was at, I would challenge people to have a heart for the world. Because we need workers sent up to send out, raised up to be able to send out. And I remember when God broke on my heart the passion to start a church 
I could have started a church. This was back in our early married years in Indiana, in Indianapolis, as an independent church. But I said, no, I want to be connected with a bigger family for bigger things that God wants us to do. And so we today are a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance here as the Awakening. And we carry not only this desire to um, people awakening people to be fully alive to Christ and his mission, but that last part, the mission, is a mission for all the world. All of Jesus for all the world. And he has called me to help lead us as a church family in a broader movement of the Alliance Church family. And sometimes it's referenced that the Alliance is, we are a Christ-centered Acts 1 family. You have identity in life according to your last name. Maybe you've changed your last name. Maybe you were adopted or some things happened and you went back to some uh, other name that was... Uh, Names mean something. And as a church family, we have a name. And that name is a global name. It's the kingdom of God. And we live into that calling. And I just want to call us afresh and anew to be mindful of the people God's raising up and for us to consider where God would raise us up and send us out as workers in his kingdom. This Acts 1-8 church family idea comes from Acts 1-8, right? But you will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A lot of times we think as we even if we're a young believer in Christ, it's like, man, i got to get this stuff down in, in my own life and maybe my own neighborhood, my own network of friends, and then, then I'll start be worried more about, you know, uh, people in the valley, Temecula Valley, the people in Southern California, the people in our nation, than the people in the world. We sort of change the Acts 1-8 in our thinking from an and to a then, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But it's not a then, it's an and. We have to move forward and simultaneously do this together as a Christ-centered, Acts 1, 8, church family. We are to go. How are we going to be going about that? It's a verse we looked at last week, but Jesus himself said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so when we were a part of that missionary rally, the Alliance on Friday night, my mind went back to when I was a kid. My parents were at it when they were young to influence their children to have a heart for the world. And here I am, some of you know, my birthday was yesterday. I turned 62. I guess I can officially retire now, early, right? But 62, you start to look back through your years and you're grateful for the influences that are around you. And could I just ask us parents, are we challenging and encouraging our children to have a heart for the world? 
as I watch some of those young missionary families be prayed over in that service, I was grateful that we have people that God's raising up that are young to send them out to reach the regions that do not have anyone to know Christ. And not only for us as parents to be obedient to that, because I had to acknowledge that myself, but I want my son or my daughter to, to go be a missionary far away and leave me, right? But we need to consider ourselves what God would have us do in being one of those workers to go into the harvest field. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do it, Joe. I'm going to have you come up here. Some of you know that uh, we had a great conference back in March called the Plan A Conference. The Plan A Conference is that you are God's plan A to reach the world for Christ. There is no plan B. He uses us as human beings. And uh, have you come over here more center? I know you want to be here in the middle, right? Joe's not. I talked him into coming up today. But um, in that conference, uh, Forge Equipping, uh, Forge Ministries came and imparted to us some great training for us to be his hands and his feet, to be his presence in our local networks. And one of the things that Forge offers as a parachurch ministry is to equip, in particular to equip young people. And uh, there's Forge Equipping, Pastor Zach, who was up here before you, he went on a Forge Equipping experience, I don't know, what was it, Zach, five, six years ago now, and uh, seven, and uh, Zach, uh, his whole life was radically changed as a young man, and he uh, is impacted even to this very day because of that equipping that happened with him over a period of a couple months. Well, Forge Equipping is what it's called now. It was called The Experience a, a few years ago. But this is Joe Wally, and Joe Wally is, uh, um, do I have a mic I can give Joe? Can I s steal one up here? Zach's going to give it for you because he wants you to say something. Okay. But Joe Wally is leaving this week as a person who is going to be equipped uh, through a forge experience. Zach, why don't you just stay up here? And uh, there you go. And um, Joe, you leave on Thursday, correct? That's right. And so this is an experience of a couple, three weeks of equipping, a week serving at Deep Camp, who we've encouraged people to go to Deep Camp before in Colorado. And then you have a mission field experience, right? And you're doing the whole thing, right? I am. And just share with your church family, why are you going on this Forge Equipping experience and what happened in your heart over just the last few weeks since even uh, Forge Plan A conference? Well, I think it's more appropriate to talk about what's happened over the last few months, about six months. Okay. I've been, con I was confused and I was trying to find my way in life and I finally realized that I should open up to God and I knocked on the door, and Jesus opened it, and Plan A Conference came to our church, and it led me to this mission experience, and I'm so excited going forward. And also, I just want to thank this church body for being a vessel that the Lord has used to push me out into the field and learn to trust him. Thank you, Joey. Give him a hand on that. Yeah. I uh, know some of you have actually made investments and in been able to send Joe on this experience, but... Uh, I wanted to bring him up here just so you knew uh, who he was, so you can pray for him. 
When you pray for these international workers, there's also workers that God's raising up from our own church family at the Awakening to be a part of the bigger family. And uh, we have no idea where that equipping takes Joe, but in my journey with him over the years, and especially the last six months, Joe went through Rooted and some of the Rooted teams here uh, in that group, is a stirring in his heart to be obedient to Jesus and to serve him. And it's sort of sort of skin on the vision kind of thing, of people awakening people to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Joe Wally is one of them. Zach, would you take the microphone and let's uh, have you just oh, can pray. I just say one more sure. thing? Sure. Uh, sorry. I just want to thank Jesus Christ sincerely because we sung this morning. He's our tower of refuge, and that's been the truth for me. And he's the one standing in the fire beside us and preventing us from being burnt. So thank you, God. Amen. Pastor Mike, for a young man who was a little hesitant to come up here, there's a fire in your belly there, man, buddy. Let's, uh, would you just stand with me and extend your arms to pray over Joe? God, we come before you today, and we just thank you for a life touched, a life changed, God. We pray for Joe as we send him out, Lord to grow closer to you, to grow in intimacy with you, Lord. I pray that you would just teach him things that he didn't even know he needed to be taught, God. That you would challenge him in ways that is going to change him for the rest of his life, Lord. I pray for Joe as he goes through the hardships of the next few weeks, but also just the glory of being able to living hand in hand with you, God. I pray for him that you would just guide him throughout all of it, that you would allow your presence to be known, you would continue to reveal yourself to him in such ways that he has never seen before, God. I pray for his intimacy with Christ mm -hmm. and his service to you, Lord. Joe Wally is your servant who you can send and do with as you please. And the enemy has absolutely no power over him anymore. And he will go out and be a servant of the Lord, mm -hmm. being a kingdom laborer into a harvest that is plentiful. He is a new worker, ready to serve you, God. Use him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus said that. What would he say today? What would he say today? I think he would say the same thing. It's plentiful. People are needing the Lord. There are searches going on in all dimensions of life. People pursuing prosperity, pleasure, power. They're looking for purpose. It's because we were created as human beings to be in relationship with God and fulfill his purposes. And if we're not on that track, then we're on a variant track that most likely is going to end up in some dead ends, if not falling over some cliffs. And so Jesus sees this. He created each and every single person, each one of you. He formed in your mother's womb. He called you into being. He gave you his very life, the spark of life itself, to serve and to love him. But because sin entered the world, we become very myopic and self-centered. And we take this journey in life, sometimes many for years, sometimes people never even make the turn, a journey that needs to be one that's found in right relationship with Jesus and serving his purposes. 
I think if Jesus was to stand on this platform today, like Joe came up here and spoke, his heart would be about the same thing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But then he said to us, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And we pray over someone like Joe, but could it be that we need to be asking here in our church that God would raise us up, raise up individuals, maybe the people in the row in front of you, maybe the people that are in the back, maybe the people who weren't able to make it today, that God would raise all of us up to be workers in his kingdom. And though we may not be going overseas, there is a work at hand that we need to be doing today and tomorrow and the next day. Life is uncertain. Life can be brief, and we need to devote ourselves to reaching those who are lost or those who need to be discipled, those who need to grow in their faith. And no matter what our vocation is that we get paid the bucks for, we need to be invested in serving the kingdom of God. And we need to be those workers here for us as a church. And so I challenge us to consider that we would be workers in the harvest field this summer, afresh and anew. It's actually point number four from last week that you were here, that we would be able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is in need. But I made a point last week, and God pressed it upon me that I've got to anchor ourselves a little bit better there today. And the point that I made last week was this, that we are worshipers first and workers second. For you see, the whole idea of be a worker, serve the kingdom of God, give your life to Jesus, lay down your life for him, it all becomes quite burdensome, mechanical, institutional, legalistic, weighted, if we're doing it out of duty, sometimes you have to serve out of duty. I understand that. I, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to take care of this situation in my household or this place at work, situation at work. We have to serve out of duty. But if we continue just to merely serve out of duty and we don't serve out of passion, our passion for the Lord, then it becomes very mundane and burdensome and our life is loaded down and we'll walk away from it. And a lot of people are doing that. They're just leaving church. They're done. Too many other things. But if we put it first that we are to be worshipers and our hearts filled with the passion and the love, and I appreciate Zach praying over it. It's one of the things that Forge Ministry will uh, unpack and work a lot with Joe and the other people that are going for uh, the Forge equipping experience. Our intimacy with Christ is critical. And our intimacy with Christ has to do with our love and our worship of him. So we're worshipers first and workers second. In fact, one of the things that's unpacked in the teaching of the training is, is this idea that our intimacy with Christ is the greatest gift that we can give to the world. And why is that? Because it's Christ living in us, working through us to reach others like us. It's an overpouring. Any of you bumped up against somebody that had a bad week this week? Somebody's a little bit cynical, a little cretankerous right? Grouchy. If you bump up against them or you get a little bit sideways or maybe just say something or look at them, rawr, what do they do? You do it, I do it. 
My wife tells me I do it. I, I spill over what's inside of me, right? So am I having a bad week? You know, as they say, you know, the boss comes down on the employee, the employee comes down uh, on his kids. I mean, the employee goes home, comes down on his kids, and the kids end up kicking the cat, right? It's just like, we, we act, ah! Oh. Well, we don't have anything to give, whether it's our family, our friends, or the lost that are around us, if we don't have hearts that are full of worship. Worshippers first, workers second. It was A.W. Tozer. He framed it this way, and it's where this phrase comes from, Ad, and I've carried it through the years. We're here to be worshipers first, and workers only second. We take a convert, convert to Christ, and immediately make a workaround of him. Get busy. Get doing things. God never meant for it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper, and after that, he can learn to be a worker. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. I'm very much concerned that in our Christian culture today, we don't have a lot of people who are fully alive in Christ who are worshipers. They're not very contagious. They're maybe more cantankerous. Maybe they're just dogmatic on who's in, who's out, what's right, what's wrong. But when you get somebody that, that is fully alive in Christ, all of Jesus for all the world, it starts to happen because Jesus lives through us and he's contagious. Jesus attracted crowds. Yeah, he attracted crowds of other people who didn't like him and ended up getting crucified, right? But Jesus had masses of people that were attracted to him. And today, if Jesus is living through us, people will be drawn to us. And so for us as a church, for you and your individual life as a Christian follower, how you doing with the worship thing? How you doing with the intimacy with Jesus? Is it front priority? Are you cultivating that? Are you setting it aside saying, I'll get to that in a week that's less busy? You have to. It's imperative of you. You have no full life. If Christ isn't being renewed and restored in you day by day, if you're not spending time studying the Word of God, spending time in prayer, my wife exhorted me last night as we were driving back uh, from the airport about my prayer walks and the need for me to be spending some more time in them. I'm like, and you're right. I know my household location changed, and I don't have one of these big, open, more country kind of roads that I used to have. But I have to cultivate His presence and His joy and His love. I have to worship. Because it's only out of my worship of the Lord that I'm ever going to be successful in God's eyes, I believe, of being able to reach those who are lost and be a worker for him. As many of you know, I had this opportunity to um, spend some time in Israel and some of the holy lands over the last few weeks. And you would drive around and you would see different locations. 
This particular location that's behind you is in Samaria, which is between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Mount Gerizim is on the left, I believe, and Mount Ebal is on the right. And there's the valley that's in between in a city they called Shechem. In prior days, it was probably called Sychar. And Jesus ministered to a woman in this area. And he spoke to her a profound truth that we need to remember here this morning if we're to be worshipers first and workers second. And I'd like you to turn in your scriptures there. It's found in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we find these words. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So his ministry is really starting to blossom. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back north once more to the Galilee area. It was interesting. We were in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago, and our next day's journeys were to go to the Sea of Galilee. And uh, our tour guide driver, uh, he said, well, we're going to go back towards Tel Aviv, and then we're going to go up the interstate, the highways, because we can get up to Galilee area quicker that way, and we can go through uh, the Valley of Megiddo, which has Mount Tabor in it, and what's referred to as the, maybe a future valley of Armageddon. We were able to stop in Nazareth, drive through Canaan of Galilee, and then we came to the north side of uh, the Sea of Galilee and spent some time there, Mount of Beatitudes, uh, Capernaum. And it was interesting because I'm thinking, I, I don't really want to go all the way around outside of Jerusalem, back towards the Mediterranean Sea, and go up a highway and come down to Galilee. I wanted to go straight up to Galilee in my thinking, but I understood that we were time uh, crunched and we needed to get there quickly. So we went, what I perceived mileage-wise, out of our way to get to Sea of Galilee. This is the same situation that was happening during Jesus' day. Jesus, uh, he could go straight from Sea of Galilee down into Judea, uh, down to where Jerusalem was, or he could go out of the way. And the reason they went out of the way wasn't because it was a faster highway. They went out of the way because there were people that lived in the area between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem that they didn't want to have any doings with. And those were the Samaritans. Various reasons won't go into that, but just think untouchable. I don't want to associate with these people. So they literally went out of their way to get to Jerusalem from the Sea of Galilee just so they didn't have to go through Samaria. But not this time with Jesus. Now he had to go through Samaria, verse 4. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or as today is probably Shechem. Near the plot of ground, near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, one of the interesting things here, and John's very good about unpacking the deity of Jesus Christ, but here's an example of showing the humanity of Jesus Christ. He had been walking. He had no, uh, you know, uh, Land Rover uh, like we were in to be able to take him there. He had to walk, and as a person that's walking, 
through that area, he's tired. And here he sits down by a well, Jacob's well, which is probably about a 100-foot deep well. In this area, as you're seeing here on the screen, there were no running streams or rivers. But there was a well that was dug way back in Jacob's day, and they would come out, uh, and the women were responsible for doing this primarily. They would come out in the mornings and the evenings when it was cool. And they would lower bucket, raise that bucket, be refreshed, take the water back to their households and what was needed. So this is the scene. This is the situation. It looks pretty dry, right? You need to have some water there. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, (laughs) he could have just minded his own business, which is what you were supposed to do, especially if you're a Jewish person. You happen to be in that area where you weren't supposed to be. But he sticks his nose in. Will you give me a drink? Verse 8, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So he's there by himself. He's speaking to a Samaritan. And even worse, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. And you weren't supposed to be speaking to women in that situation. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Oh, he's making a pivot in his conversation. You ever done that when you're sharing with somebody, you're talking about this, this, and this, and then you sort of make this pivot? to try to bring in the spiritual dimension? That's a wise thing to do. And Jesus made this pivot from natural water to living spiritual water. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from and the well is pretty deep. How are you going to get way down there? Where can you get this living water? It's almost like she looked around and goes, wow, I've been here my whole life mostly. And just do you know a stream? Do you know a place that there's water, living water that I don't know about? I mean, if you can't do it out of this well. So what is it? What is it? Her interest is pricked. Her interest is pricked in what living water is. And Jesus continues to pull her along and to pull her into the spiritual dimension for the hunger and the thirst that's in her own soul. Where can you get this living water, she says. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Here's water. It's needed, right? Your throat gets dry. You can live a lot of days without food, but you can't live very many days without water. So Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So he's now gone straight at it. He's evangelizing, if you will. He's offering hope to this Samaritan woman. And he's asking her to consider something more than the physical substance of life. 
I believe you and I are called to challenge some of our friends, some of our co-workers, some of our neighbors, maybe even some of our enemies, that what they're looking for in life is more than mere substance for their being, whether it's physical food, monetary means, or earthly purpose. People need the Lord. And we have to have that conviction. Jesus had that conviction. It was a typical day. She was there in the afternoon. And we're going to find out why she was there in the heat of the afternoon rather than the morning and the evening because the the well was sort of a a hangout place to be able to to have community conversation. You know, they they didn't have the social media, the internet, and those kinds of things. So you actually physically showed up at a place to communicate with someone. But she was there by herself. Jesus is there. It's an awkward kind of environment. But Jesus pulls her along and gets her to look at the substance of the soul that needs to be fed and given. You need living water. You need living water that will well up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still on physical substance. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Oh, now he takes a really unique turn. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Did he really go there? A prophetic voice, he went there? He went there and called this woman out? You've been married this many times and now you're living with someone that's not your husband? Oh my gosh, don't do that. That's embarrassing. He called her out and to the credit of this Samaritan woman, she didn't fight back. How dare you label me? How dare you ostracize me? I'm a victim. You should care about me because of that. No. She was called into the perspective that he was giving. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The conversation is, in one sense, the whole encounter is a fairly lengthy kind of aspect. But he says in this, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see the Samaritans, because they are ostracized and they didn't really sort of believe some of the things that certain Jewish sects of people believed, they actually had built another temple here on Mount Gerizim. To worship, And so that was the place they went to go to worship rather than going into Jerusalem to worship at the temple, which was on a prior picture that was just up here a little while ago. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews through the line and the lineage of the Jews. In verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Christ, that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then here's a bold declaration of Jesus about his deity. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Now, the story goes on where the disciples rejoin him, and they're like, ooh, you're talking to this woman, and how did you get this food stuff? We went into McDonald's, we were bringing it back, and here you are, what's going on? This is all going south, this is not good, all right? And you can finish the story on itself. But what I want to call our attention to and the critical truth for us today to be worshipers first and workers second is this, that when we worship, we must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you may be given reference here that we're to worship in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and in truth. But these two are critical for us if we're to be true worshipers and we're to get back to the heart of worship. We worship in spirit because God is spirit and our spirit connects with him. Should I say that again? We worship in spirit because God is spirit and our spirit connects with him. It's beautiful because I tell you what, there's a lot of places like this in Israel and around the world. And when we were in Rome and we were in Ephesus, you, in Athens, you think of all the places that have been built to do worship whether the worship of other gods or even the worship of God himself, cathedrals and everything. And I'm thinking, I am so thankful that I don't have to get up and do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every week to worship. I am so thankful that I can walk out of a retail building retrofitted as a worship auditorium and worship the Lord in any place this week I go. In my car, at the store, on a walk, in a difficult situation that may come. Because our worship does not have to do with locality. Because the one we worship has now come to dwell within us. And so when I worship, I find myself taking some steps back in my spirit to say, Lord, remind me of your goodness. Remind me of your truth. Remind me of your love. Remind me of your power. Lord, may I recall how you in prior days rescued me. You changed this situation, whether it was a health situation, a financial situation, or a relationship situation. Lord, I'm here to worship you in spirit. And so we can worship the Lord wherever we are at. That doesn't mean that we should not come together corporately to worship, because I believe it's catalytic for us to worship. And we just shouldn't say, ah, am, am I in or out today to go to church this week? And that's sort of a mindset. That this environment is catalytic for me to worship in spirit and truth when I'm away from this environment. So it's not like poo-hoo on being able to go to a place of worship. But we worship in spirit by allowing our interior life to connect with the God who is present because his spirit was sent to be with us. And I don't know about you, 
But that was a beautiful idea that God came up with. All the Old Testament, why did the Samaritan lady say, well, you guys worship in Jerusalem. We go on top of this mountain, worship here. Jesus saying, day's coming. And from his cross, his death, his resurrection, when he sent his spirit back to inflame people with the fire of his Holy Spirit, we no longer have to go to a locality because his locality has come to be resident within us. And that, my friends, is something to shout about and have a lot of joy over. Amen? But, but, do we worship in spirit? Do we cultivate his presence? Do we draw near to him? Draw near to him in whatever situation you're in this morning. And when you draw near to him, we don't just worship by spirit or sometimes it leads to emotion. We worship by truth, anchored on the word of God. Yes, that is so right. When somebody's preaching, I heard a lot of people speak this week at council. You hear certain things, I'm like, yeah, that's right. In my spirit, I'm witnessing the truth, right? So we worship in spirit and truth. If we're to be workers, worshipers first and workers second, then we need to cultivate this presence in the house of the Lord. In that house of the Lord, if we're a believer in Jesus, is with us wherever, wherever we go. Samaritans, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Jewish people worship at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, the old remnants of the second temple that existed during Jesus' day. I don't have to go to a wall to worship. Nothing wrong with sacred places, and that was a sacred place. But we worship in spirit and truth. I challenge you to be worshipers first, workers second. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, consider inviting him to come into your life. He wants to dwell in you by his spirit, love you, live through you, and give you the plans and the purposes he desires for your life to have. All of Jesus for all the world because we have experienced his love. His hope and mercy firsthand. We are compelled to make him known to all people in every segment of life. I'm going to ask Jamie to come to the keyboard. I want us to spend some moments here in worship as we close. On your way in, you received the communion cup. And I want to encourage you that if you didn't, that you would just raise your hand and they'll get a communion cup passed to you. We're going to take communion and we're going to sing, but we're also going to pray. This phrase, all of Jesus for all the world, what's behind that with our Alliance Church family over a hundred and some years is that Jesus Christ is our Savior, He's our Sanctifier, He's our Healer, and He's our Coming King. That's all of Jesus. Not that Jesus is just here to save you and I, and then we get to wait around until heaven, right? 
Jesus wants to impart himself to you through intimacy with you. As your savior, as your sanctifier, which is a word for just growing spiritually and becoming set apart for him because he is the one who is holy that lives within us. He is our savior, he's our sanctifier, he's our healer, he's our divine healer, and he's our coming king. He's going to be coming back in visible form and imminent at any time. That divine healer aspect, though, this morning, I want to, I've been asking the Lord, what's he calling us to do as a church as we move forward to be his presence in this valley? There's proclamation of the gospel message that needs to go forward, but I believe there's a demonstration of the gospel's ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit that needs to be happening. And I'm asking the Lord, say, Jesus, what do I need to do for my own life, for us as a body of people, a uh, an Acts 1-8 Christ-centered church family. What do I need to be doing? And I believe we need to be praying more for God to work supernaturally in our midst. It's what Jesus did to call people to himself in this aspect of divine healing. I want to start incorporating back in more with our times of communion that if you're in a place that you need physical healing, maybe it's emotional healing, but physical healing, there is provision in the work of the atonement of Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, his blood that was shed, by his stripes we are healed, it says in Isaiah, that we can ask for divine healing. It's not faith healing. It's not built upon, oh, i got to have enough faith. No, he is the divine healer. And I want us to open the altars during this time of communion. And then as we sing, to pray for maybe needs that are in the body, but maybe you have a physical need of healing touch that's needed today. Some of you are aware of this. Some of you maybe saw it on news that flashed by this week. There's a family that's been a part of our church over the years, Mike and Sarah Hooper. Mike and Sarah were a part of a small group that Melissa and I were a part of a few years ago. And during the journey of life, stayed connected. In fact, Mike's organization helps us with our website. Their son graduated from Vista Marietta on Thursday night. And while still in his graduation gown, he, his sister, and their very good friend were T-boned on Winchester Road at Keller Road as they were headed back for a graduation party. Tragically, their friend's life was taken. Their son, Gavin, was hurt really badly, but he was released and he's recovering at home. Very traumatic. He was the driver. And his sister, Landis, Mike and Sarah's daughter, Landis, is in a hospital ICU room tonight fighting for her very life. The preciousness of life the brevity of life and the uncertainty. 
I'm so grateful in times like this, and we've been praying for them and trying to partner with them as a family best we can, is that we have all of Jesus to bring to all of this situation. Our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. And it may be that you need to have a find a special place just to pray for Landis and to pray for Gavin, pray for the whole Hooper family. They also have another younger daughter. But maybe it's a particular prayer need you have for healing and touch. So I'm going to ask the whole worship team actually to come. And I'm going to give you these moments. I'm not going to take any more scripture. The bread, you can peel off the bottom. It's the broken body that Jesus broke for your healing, for your salvation. And then you can take the cup. Jesus said, whoever takes this bread and takes this cup in remembrance of me, uh, celebrates me, worships me, honors me, endears themselves to me until I come again. So I had the communion cup. You have an altar area. You can just pray where you're at in your seat. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song that God used instrumentally in my life in one of the most broken seasons I ever had as a pastor many years ago. And maybe you need the words of this song to get you back to a place to worship God in spirit and in truth. So Angela, come and lead us in this. I'm going to invite you to stand as we worship. You can go ahead and be seated after that if you want to be able to pray or to come forward. But these are your moments. The Lord is here to minister to us. May we be worshipers first and workers second. But as workers, may we take all of Jesus to all of the world as he sends us out. Amen.